please do turn to your Bibles to the book of Romans and chapter 1. I'll read firstly from chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. Paul writing, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And now if you turn over to Romans chapter 3, and I'll read from verses 21 to 24. And now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Paul, in this great letter, is writing to Roman believers in that great city of Rome, a synopsis of his beliefs. And he's also writing to church leaders in Jerusalem, where he would have had to have made an adequate explanation of himself. The language and concepts shared by Paul in these passages that the gospel of God, the good news of God, is that salvation is for all who would believe. It's a righteousness of God. There's a universality of both salvation and judgment, and, and that, that, that salvation and righteousness are available through faith and faith alone. The adversative but in Romans 3 verse 21 heralds the solution. It calls it out. But the text in between those two readings highlights humanity's unrighteousness and the need of God's righteousness. So firstly, what's the problem? Romans 3 verse 23, that little phrase, all have sinned, that's the problem. Our inerrant sinful nature of unrighteousness comes to all of humanity down from the first rebellion against God by Adam. To be with God eternally, all humanity needs to be declared righteous for unrighteousness and uh, cannot enter the, the holy and righteous presence of God. So for humanity, created in God's image, in order to re-enter God's presence, each individual person needs to be declared righteous and therefore be declared justified. Justification is the transformation from a condemned criminal to that of an heir awaiting a majestic legacy as a son or a daughter of a king. And if God does not judge and punish unrighteousness, then God would have to destroy not only us and all of humanity, but also himself. Holiness is an absolute attribute of God which requires the punishment of all and any impurity or unrighteousness, for that is sin. And if unrighteousness and sin remained unpunished, God would cease to be God and we would cease to be human. Ergo, since the first rebellion, God has had a gospel plan, a plan of good news to restore righteousness to humanity. 
So if that's the problem, what are some of the initial questions we can ask about this and about this passage? Or firstly, what is this gospel plan of God? The gospel is one which Paul is separated to according to his own words in Romans 1 verse 1. Paul announces that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all humanity in Romans 1 verse 16. This gospel is the good news that God has provided the means for rebellious humanity to be rescued from his wrath and judgment. This gospel is a twofold message. It is deliverance from the final judgment resulting from God's anger against sin and accrediting of righteousness upon sinful humanity. Not only will humanity be saved, but has been saved. This gospel creates faith, it brings life, and it also brings judgment. So what is wrath, if that's the gospel? When we think of wrath, in human terms, it's usually of an uncontrollable rage or temper tantrum, great anger. God's wrath does not portray the human weakness of vindictiveness or an uncontrolled peak. We can dismiss such ideas, since due to his forbearance, God's anger and judgment has been smouldering since that first rebellion of Adam and Eve. And God's wrath invokes justice, according to Paul in Romans 2, verse 5. So if that's the gospel plan, and that's the wrath of God, what is righteousness? And there are three meanings to this key phrase of Paul throughout his letters. Righteousness of God. Firstly, righteousness is an immutable characteristic of God, in that whether it is a righteousness that judges or a righteousness that saves, it is still God's righteousness. And secondly, that his righteousness demands God's, God actively keeping the promises he has made. And then thirdly and finally, that this righteousness makes humanity righteous. So, that comes on to our next point. Who needs this righteousness? Back to God's judgment for our third point. When we describe God's judgment, similarly there are three aspects to it, just as there were of righteousness, all of which give a total and clear picture. For God's judgment to only have one or two of these characteristics would mean it was not the judgment of a holy and righteous and impartial God. God's judgment is inescapable, it's righteous and it's impartial. Firstly, inescapable. All of humanity is inerrantly, self-righteously hypercritical of others. Paul tells us that this makes us hypocritical and we have no right to stand in condemnation over people as what is common in all of humanity is a universal sinfulness or separation or disobedience of God. We set unachievable high standards for others and yet remarkably very low standards for ourselves and this this uh, judgment is righteous God will judge according to what each person has done in Romans 2 verse 6 while Christians may be justified and declared righteous by faith we will be judged based on the works we do 
to earn rewards. Our faith is to be supported by good works. Paul writes in Galatians 5 verse 6 and James writes in James 2 verse 18. Paul here shows two destinies, eternal life, glory, honour, peace and immortality for those who enduringly desire to perform good works. Romans 2 verse 7 and 10. Juxtaposed and opposed to this are the self-indulgent and disobedient who shall incur God's indignation, wrath and righteous judgment. Romans 2 verse 8 to 9. And then thirdly, this wrath, this judgment is impartial. God shows no favoritism. So whether it's a Jew or a Gentile, both can be saved and be declared righteous. God is eternally just and righteous. It is a reflection of his mercy that nobody, no person at any time can claim God is unfair. So, how can we be saved? First of all, the Gentile is in, in need. Gentiles or non-Jews require this righteousness of God. Unrighteousness is universally endemic as all of humankind is rebelled and fallen short of God's glory. And that's been passed down since the original sin in Genesis by Adam. And while God has given the Jew the book of the law, how has God revealed himself to the Gentile, the non-Jew? Well, God has revealed himself and his invisible attributes fully to all of humanity through their individual conscience and through his creation. In Jesus Christ, God has now revealed himself fully in visible form so that humanity has even less of an excuse not to worship God and God alone, to follow him and be obedient to him. Whether it's through ignorance they did not glorify him, through foolish wisdom or self-indulgence, God allowed humanity free will and gave them over to their own desires. This is viewed in non-heterosexual practices, being viewed as an abasement and denial of God. It's noticeable also through idolatrous attitudes and actions. Man and woman began as creation's pinnacle, but ended up beneath creation when man started worshipping creation instead of the creator. Romans 1 verse 23, Paul writes, Gentiles are without excuse, and their actions decree their eternal destiny. Having suppressed God, God therefore debased man's mind to all kinds of wickedness so that humankind's temporal pleasure may be appeased and of which are still in evidence today. So if that's the Gentile, what about the Jew? Jews had the law and they boasted in it as good Jews should. However, possession of the law was of no consequence to God and Paul claims it is practicing the law which matters. Their religion was an external action, but not an internal attitude. Jesus' regular denunciation of the Pharisees reflects this. Adultery, robbery and idolatry were perfectly possible for a Jew to commit secretly, according to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Instead of being God's light to the nations, the nation of Israel and the Jews were dishonouring God. James Packer in his book Knowing God reflects, The law cannot save us for its only effect is to stimulate sin and shows us how far short we fall from God's righteousness and standards. And if not the law, then surely through circumcision a Jew will be declared righteous. Correct? No! 
while the circumcision is the mark of God's covenant with Israel, circumcision avails nothing if the law is not kept. An uncircumcised Gentile who keeps the law is more acceptable to God than a circumcised Jew who breaks the law. A Jew is one who inwardly experiences God and not one who exhibits external worship alone. And Paul continues, All humanity has rebelled against God, both Jew and Gentile. Paul cites Old Testament verses to back his claim that all of humanity are unrighteous before God's wrath. There are no excuses. So who can be saved? It's salvation for all. And it's revealed for all who who believe by faith. All people are under God's wrath and are therefore condemned. This wrath is brought forth by universal human wickedness. We are in need both of rescue and to be justified before God. Paul, continuing with the adversative, but now in Romans 3 verse 21, explains that God has also provided us with a righteousness that is available immediately so that we may be saved from God's wrath. The law, as we have seen, condemns any who do not keep it fully. Yet combined with the prophets, the law bears witness to this righteousness. How do we achieve this justification? Faith, succinctly described by J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God, reminds us is a self-abandoning trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. By showing faith in Jesus Christ as it is due to him, we will have been declared righteous and have a legal status before God of being justified if we choose it. Can we earn it? No! We have seen how both Gentile and Jew have failed in trying to achieve salvation. Nevertheless, we need to believe in order to receive the righteousness we have asked for. This grace in Romans 3 verse 24 declares believers righteous at the beginning of their course and not at the end of it. This gift, this grace, which is free, discovered by Martin Luther, enables believers to be justified through the act of redemption alone. But what about God's wrath? God's wrath is propitiated or appeased through redemption And this word redemption implies ransom. It's the purchase, or was used as the purchase of a slave, simply to set that slave free. And it involved a ransom payment. God's grace pays God's justice on our behalf, so that righteousness can be declared. God's grace is the origin of our justification. This redemption resulting from God the Father, presenting Jesus Christ as a sacrifice, to appease his wrath. Our redemption involved the death of Jesus Christ as our payment. God's righteous wrath, now averted and appeased through the act of propitiation, means we are therefore liberated as a demonstration of his righteousness. All of humanity are slaves or prisoners to sin, and it is from this slavery that the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ declares we have been delivered. The full consequences of this redemption will not be experienced until we have 
overcome and persevered to gain our eternal inheritance. Romans 8 verse 23 to 25. So, as I conclude, is there any difference today between now and 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul wrote? Well, people are still blasé and ignorant of God, having suppressed the truth. We live in the age of rationality and scientific materialism. And people still declare that science and advanced knowledge has proved God's non-existence. People are still both hypercritical of others and therefore hypocrites. It is to this world where we are to apply our theology as Christians. This gospel of salvation which justifies us in order to declare us righteous, thus sparing us from God's condemnatory wrath, is the one we are to use to spread the good news that God's righteousness is freely available by faith to all those who would humble themselves and admit their guilt and their lostness and ask God for forgiveness. For those of us here tonight who would already call themselves Christian, you are to tell others about this salvation and you are to serve him fully wherever you are and wherever you go. Jesus is the one you are following and it's on his terms alone that you are his disciple. If you view him as a superhero, somebody who you call upon only when you need something, or even as your boyfriend, as I've heard some people say, then beware. Jesus Christ will not be mocked. He wants all aspects of your life to be submitted to him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who defied Hitler, wrote these words. When Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Discipleship is not an offer that man makes to Jesus Christ, nor is it hero worship, but it is intimacy with Christ. Do you desire to be intimate with Jesus Christ? Then worship him alone and exhibit your faith to all you come into contact with. Too often Christians and churches side with the rights of the powerful and the elite while forgetting the poor, the oppressed and the marginalised. Too often Christians and churches neglect to feed the hungry, seeking justice for the oppressed and help the poor. Not good enough. There are enough Christians and churches in the UK to make significant positive change to their local communities. Too often, Christians sit around on their backsides discussing good theology, while in that very same community, people die of loneliness and neglect. If this describes you, then please come and see one of us after the service, and we would like to pray with you and help you. You say you have faith in Jesus Christ and are dedicated to him. Good! Then show it, and this community will be transformed to the glory and praise of the Jesus Christ you proclaim to serve. Go tell somebody this good news of Jesus Christ. When you go tell somebody this very day, this week, this message of salvation. Salvation is a free gift and available to all who ask because nobody can earn it or buy it. The price has already been paid by Jesus Christ alone on a Roman cross some 2,000 years ago. And on a personal note, if you ever hear people say, Dave Roberts has died you tell them this, that that is false. You tell them, Dave Roberts is now more alive than he ever was. 
And for those here tonight who would not yet call themselves Christian, you need to bow your knee before Almighty God. If you want to turn to God, there is no need for delay. He is ready and willing to take you as his own right now. You only have to ask him to forgive you and to give you help on the journey ahead. It's a partnership between God and yourself. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, becoming utterly dependent upon him, you turn to God. God's wrath is appeased. You don't need to do or change anything to become a follower of this Jesus. However, once you've made that decision, you leave behind your spiritual isolation and rebellion against him. As you live each day, become more involved with Jesus day by day, gaining intimacy, you'll find yourself changing. Uh, you'll stop doing those things that separated you from him. You'll find yourself doing things that, that please Jesus and develop your relationship with him. God asks that you accept his guidance and management of your life. He will come and live inside you. God's point of view and God's strength become your point of view and become your source of strength. You turn your mind, your will and your heart to him for all that you do. And if you want to become a Christian right now, there are three simple steps to follow. Firstly, admit that you have done wrong against God and his ways. Secondly, believe and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Call on him, receive, trust, obey and worship him, recognizing him for who he is and what he has done. And then confess Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour. And once your sin has been confessed and Jesus is believed in and trusted in as Saviour, then you are a Christian, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now you're ready, as Peter writes later on in the Bible, to grow in grace and knowledge of this Lord Jesus Christ. You are welcome to the family of God. If that's you, please come and see us after the service. And we will love to pray with you and help you on your way.